Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We're back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. And with me, as always, is a man who is, to me, like goals are to Lewandowski, Billy. That was cute. But this week, guys, we'll start off in England, where it's seven heaven for Liverpool at Selhurst Park. Leeds United, a hit for six. Maybe I spoke too soon when I said Jose had his mojo back. And moving to Germany, we have a top-of-the-table clash. Dortmund's downward spiral continues. And we'll finish with a review as FIFA does a FIFA with the best awards. Should we start at Selhurst Park? Yes, please. Liverpool cancelled out their 7-2 smacking that they received from Aston Villa with that 7-0 at Crystal Palace. And I'm kind of surprised because Crystal Palace, yeah, we know they're not a team who are going to be going for top six. But I did not expect them to go down 7-0 against Liverpool. Not in a million years. No, I don't... You could argue whether it was just Liverpool absolutely steamrolling. Because Palace, for a, for a while in that game, looked like they were going to score. It's not like... Well, it is like they just rolled over and let Liverpool have it. I think all the, all the air just went from them. They just deflated. Yeah. It's, it's hard to figure out what was worse or which goal was probably the worst to concede. I mean, it just didn't seem like the Crystal Palace that have played you know, the, last, the last few games, really, if we're being honest. They looked all right against Tottenham and West Ham. I mean, scraping a draw, it's not the best. They smacked West Brom 5-1. What a stark contrast. 6th of December, you're killing West Brom 5-1. And then the 19th of December, you're catching seven at home. Life comes at you fast in the Premier League, though. And conceding after three minutes doesn't give you a great platform. (laughs) Doesn't really really say, yeah, we're solid at the back, does it? It's just a bad start. It just got worse from there. And a player, Roberto Firmino, that I... Have openly criticised. He <laughs> said, "I don't know what he brings to any team." Has now scored three goals in two games, including a 90th minute winner against Spurs. So, making you eat your words, boy. I hurt when it, when he got two. <laughs> Can we just briefly touch on Mohamed Salah's goal for the seven nil? Ridiculous player. He's got I mean, a better. He's got a better goals to game ratio than Thierry Henry. Jesus. Thierry Henry had nine point, uh, 0.94 and Mohamed Salah has 0.97. So he's practically a goal a game. Wow. Which is the highest in the Premier League, which is utterly insane. Take a bow, son. Not bad for a Chelsea reject. <laughs> 
exactly. I just think where his where or how his career started. You know, Chelsea reject tries to reboot his career at Roma. Arguably, does a little more than reboot his career at Roma, and then moves to Liverpool, where he becomes their talisman for this generation of Liverpool players. It's ridiculous. I, I think um, probably the last player to have that impact for Liverpool was Steven Gerrard, which is saying ooh, a lot. Wow. That's a shout. Well, if, if you're talking up front, then definitely Fernando Torres. Yeah, but I'd, I'd argue Fernando Torres wasn't at Liverpool long enough. You know, everyone says, yeah, okay, you know, Fernando Torres. I always want that Fernando Torres at Liverpool. People forget that he was only there for two seasons. Yeah, but in those two seasons, he tore it up. And, you know, Salah's been there longer than that already. And he's yeah. continuing to rip it up. And don't discount Sadio Mane either. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of it must kind of be hard to to play in the team when you've got you know Salah taking a bunch of credit and then or I, I'd say it's that was probably a poor choice of words. It was it must it must be such a great feeling as a Liverpool fan to say Sadio Mane is kind of being outshone and uh, isn't is kind of taking a back seat when Sadio Mane is a player who puts in performances and scores goals like any world-class player in the Premier League top six. But at Liverpool, their front three is so good that Sadio Mane is not the main character, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I get that. Any other team, he'd walk in and be star man. But at Liverpool, he's being outshone by Salah. Yeah, I think it's also a testament to what what Jurgen Klopp has done with Liverpool. You know, take a taking a look at the Liverpool he took over in 2016, and the Liverpool that is top of the table again this season. All right, the Liverpool team he, he took over would probably have been beaten seven 0 by Palace. Yeah, yeah, I, I. I find it hard put to disagree with you on that one. Should we move on to? We'll 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 do with this. We'll do this in a little in a little chronological form. Almost we go from seven goals scored to six goals scored by Manchester United in the North England derby, if you will. I mean, it's not really a derby, but you know, you get what I mean. The rival, the war the of the roses, the, Lancashire yeah. against Yorkshire. That's the one. Where do you start? Scott McTominay netting in the second and the third minute. Why don't we start there? Uh, two minutes in and uh, arguably a, d- a defensive midfielder has two goals. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we criticized Scott McTominay when he plays alongside Matic because they're arguably both more of the break-up play than build-up play midfielder. And I guess I have to eat my words now because Scott McTominay almost scored a hat trick today. Yeah, and he, he plays his best when he plays alongside Fred. And as good as McTominay was, and he was man of the match, I think something has to be said about Fred because he breaks up play. And he did it, he did it today. You know, he broke up leads in the midfield, and then that's where United's goals came from. Yeah, 
Yeah. They all came from breaking up leads in midfield and starting counterattacks. It's funny that you say that because Fred breaking up play, you could argue that Fred and McTominay are both, again, just two midfielders who were both breaking up play and not known for the build-up play. But for some reason, that didn't seem to be a problem today. No, for some reason, McTominay and Matic doesn't seem to click, but Fred and McTominay does. And so it's, it's almost not really a thing of having two midfielders who are more defensive-minded than you know attacking-minded, but it's just you know having the right pairing. Definitely, and I think it worked all over for United. I mean, Bruno scored twice again and got his obligatory penalty. <laughs> it's not a United match without a Bruno Fernandez penalty, is it? It's not, but the player that I was quite happy to see score was Dan James. Because he's had yeah, a bit he of a rough... He seemed kind of high-flying at the beginning, you know, having scored against Chelsea and all that. Yeah, he got three goals in his first four appearances and then didn't score in his, net, in his next 32 in the Premier League. Wow, that's... That, I mean, that just goes to show how long, this, how long this year has been because I still think that that... 4-0 win against Chelsea was at the beginning of, uh, 20, uh, of the 2020-2021 season, but it was at the beginning of the 2019-2020 season. Exactly. It's, it's all just one long blur. <laughs> it really is. It really is. But, and I don't understand. I don't, I don't get why he played. Because <laughs> you'd think Greenwood would start, but maybe there was a bit of like, mind play going on or something. Because he nearly signed for Leeds in the January before he signed for United. Ooh, see, there's an anecdote I didn't know. Well, yeah, it's in the Leeds United documentary on Amazon Prime. Like, all the pictures were taken, all the media stuff was done, and at the last minute, it just completely fell through. (laughs) Just goes to show, nothing in football is a done deal until the ink has dried on the contract. As, As good as United were, I want to talk about Leads more, yes, and more specifically, I want to talk about Marcelo Bielsa, nominated for manager of the year, by the way, in the FIFA best awards. How I don't know because he got a team up from the second division. Oh, great, managers do that every season, right? I don't understand the narrative behind Leeds. Because you've got Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, and Roy Keane on Sky going, oh, they're amazing to watch. They do, they play such cavalier football. They just go for it. It's like, okay, I'm sat there watching Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank try and tell Roy Keane, oh, Leeds are amazing. Leeds are great. The way they play, they're 14th. If they're as good as they say they are, and if Marcelo Bielsa is this, managerial godfather like everyone makes him out to be. Leeds aren't 14th in the Premier League. They're fourth. Yeah, I'm kind of having a hard time believing, you know, all the gushing that is happening over Leeds United because I'll show you who you should be gushing about and that is Union Berlin because they're a club who are newly promoted into the Bundesliga for the first time in their club history last season managed to notch 11th place. Now, they're in the Europa League places. That's a team you can gush about. Leeds United are not putting in the performance 
that you should that warrants the praise they've received so far. Exactly. You only have to look as far back as last season with Sheffield United. At one point, they were like fifth. And people were like, oh, this is mental. How are they doing this? What Chris Wilde is like some sort of like witch doctor and weren't giving him the credit he deserves. And yet Marcelo Bielsa comes up, gets battered 6-2. And it's like, oh, well, they played Cavalier football. Like, yeah, but there are some games you can't play that way. And it's, it's ignorant of Bielsa to think that you can play that way every game because it just won't work. I mean, I, we say that Leeds United is having, you know, such a rough time of it. They're still above Arsenal. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it could be going. You could you could lose by, you could lose a game six two, but you you're still better than Arsenal. But if someone said to, okay, so United had only won one game at home before today, and they'd yeah. only scored twice, and if someone had said to a United fan, oh yeah, well you've got Leeds coming up and Leeds proper go for it and proper attack, attack, attack. If you're a United fan, you're sat there going, okay, well, that plays exactly the way that Ollie sets United up to counter. That isn't an issue. And that was what it was today. It was, okay, we'll bomb everyone forward. We'll lose the ball in midfield because... You've got Luke Ayling trying to play 30-yard crossfield pingers. We'll get counted and we'll concede. Okay, we'll change that then. The best I mean, managers It's almost as that. if Leeds United were playing with a playing style that was suited to players who actually had the individual skill level of a, you know, an Iniesta or something like that. Well, not that, but it's, it's against lesser teams. No, respect, no disrespect to like Newcastle who lost 5-2 to them. But... The best managers adapt. The best managers change. You've seen it when Oli plays the five at the back, when he did it against PSG or he's done it against City before. The five at the back with the narrow diamond and the two pacey guys up front. Yeah. He doesn't play 4-2-3-1 every game. You adapt, you change. And Mark, I can't understand why everyone thinks Bielsa is that good because... In reality, he's just an Argentinian PE teacher. He just sits on that little stool and he's just leads to a bang average team with a bang average manager. And it worked in the championship last season because the rest of the championship is dog awful. And that's my piece on the matter. Let's swiftly move on to Leicester City versus Tottenham. <laughs> and I think that one will be the most I'd say for me, it was the most interesting one because, you know, we talked about how Mourinho seemed to have his mojo back and all. And, you know, he seemed to have that really good style of play or his style of play working with Tottenham. And everyone was like, ah, okay, you know, Tottenham might actually have a chance of staying in the top three this year, maybe even challenging for the title. Challenge for the title, I know, maybe a little bit over the top. But today, they played a game that was just so uncharacteristically like Tottenham in the last few matches. I mean, if, if we're going to, if we're being honest, did we expect Spurs to have more possession than Leicester? I didn't. Um, I think it's a difficult one because it's kind of the way Leicester play. 
But then arguably it's also the way Spurs played. I mean, they had barely any possession against Liverpool. Yeah, but if you've Still got two teams, more chances. If you've got two, it was marginally more possession. It was 56% for Spurs, 44 for Leicester. Yeah. I think when you've got two teams that play that way, someone's obviously going to have more of the ball. But I think the biggest issue for Tottenham is their defence. I mean, an own goal speaks volumes, doesn't it? Uh, it was an unfortunate own goal. He just couldn't get out of the way quick enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a, but a wicked what I'm saying cross is, from James Madison, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying is it, an own goal is always, unless it's you know a freak own goal, an own goal is always usually at some point forced because the defensive performance up to that point is just not good enough or it's not good enough that the own goal cannot be avoided, so to speak. Yeah, you think if competent centre-halves are clearing that cross, you know, they're not letting Jamie Vardy muscle their way through. Especially because uh, Jamie Vardy is not the most built player in the Premier no, League. He's an absolute hassle to play against. and He's like a terrier, you know? Yeah, he just nips away. He, once he, once he's bitten like down, he's not letting go. No. But the interesting one was the first goal, the penalty. And you've seen the Tottenham documentary on Amazon Prime, haven't you? Yeah. There's the bit in that where Mourinho talks about being nervous about Serge Aurier defending because he's, he feels like he's always going to give away a daft penalty. <laughs> Jose speaks and it shall come true. Awkward. It's, it's needless. It, it baffles me how that, that man gets a game over Matt. I, I don't know whether Matt Doherty's injured. But you've got Ben Davis on the bench, who, well, I, he's, he's not a left back. He's a he's not a right back. He's a left back. But I think at this point it's going to get to it where you're just going to have to play him on the wrong side because Serge Aurier is going to cost you points. He did it today. Just a quick question, Jeffrey Tanganga, the one the youth player who came up through him and was also you know highlighted in the uh, documentary as being. You know, one of the mo- one of the more integral parts of the team once he made his debut last season. What's happened to him? He's not even on the bench. Again, I don't know if he's injured. I think, yeah, there we go. So defender Tanganga faces a spell on the sidelines through a shoulder injury. Okay, but it doesn't require any surgery. So that's a positive for Tottenham fans that at some point in the near future they'll have Jaffet Tanganga back. I was about to say, put in Tanganga instead of uh, uh, Serge Aurier. But I think the biggest problem for Tottenham today, and I don't think I'd say that about Tottenham this season, but they look utter, they look toothless. Yeah, they had no bite. Son had a quiet game. Kane, it got to the point where it looked like he was trying to force it. And that just never works. And I think here we're, we're going to be talking about one of the crucial turning points in a team that is looking to challenge for a title because title winning teams, you always have those teams who say, you know, yeah, we can, we'll make it and we've got the stuff to become champions. And I definitely argue that there are teams who have the skill and the quality in their roster and, you know, the style of play that could definitely win games and, and also to a certain extent, even annoy top six teams and give them a run for their money. But it's all about being consistent. And this is where Tottenham 
are always going to slip up because they did so well up until then. You know, yeah, we'll take a, we might take the, the loss to Liverpool may, uh, as the more of the turning point. But, you know, ever since the loss to Liverpool, they seem to be in the playing uh, or in terms of their playing style. You know, during the Liverpool match and today, they just seem to be a little bit, mm, they're not showing what they've been showing the last couple of weeks. And it comes down, and I think this is where we're going to talk about Tottenham and titles. It comes down to the consistency. And this is showing they're not consistent because they've now dropped down to fifth. That's the harsh reality of the, of, of the situation. Yeah, I don't know whether there's a mental thing with those players. Because it seems to be every time it's going good for Tottenham, it will end up going catastrophically bad. I mean, it's, not, it's not without reason that Tottenham are known as the bottle job club of the UK. Well, over Christmas, they have Wolves away, Fulham at home, and then Leeds at home. And then Wolves next three, difficult. Wolves away, difficult. Fulham at home, easy. Should, should be. really be winning that, let's be honest. And Leeds at home, probably should be winning that as well. Has the potential to be difficult, but they should be winning that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they ended up with three points out of that nine. It's hard to argue with that because, as you said, I think the big one there is Leeds could Leeds potentially difficult, and that might be the turning. That might be the the tipping point because you know almost you could argue that if they don't get their heads on straight, they will lose to Wolves. Oh, without a doubt, you know Raúl Jiménez or not. That's a difficult game, especially away. Wolves have shown that they have the capability of beating any top six side. It'll be difficult for Tottenham, and it it might not be a very Merry Christmas for Tottenham fans. But at yeah. this point, can you really be that disappointed if you're a Tottenham fan? Because it happens every year. I was about to say, last season, it was also not a very Merry Christmas for them. Before we move on, quick props to Leicester. They are second. I don't think anyone saw that one coming. I think if you look at the start of the season, they started really well, and then they had that sort of drop-off period. Yeah. And I was talking to... Uh, there's a Leicester fan at work. I was talking to him, and he said to me, like, he's just not expecting anything from today's game. He'll be pleasantly surprised with his Sunday, I think, because they took the game to Tottenham, and Tottenham didn't have an answer. You're not wrong. And I think it's great to see that Leicester, you know, everyone said after that title winning season, you know, the abrupt and very unexpected title winning season in 2016, they were just going to kind of peter off again and then just become almost irrelevant again or the same mid-table club. You have to say that they've, they're on their way to cementing themselves as being a club to be reckoned with at least when it, come, uh, when it comes to European spots. And that's because they're well-managed and they invest their money well. Yeah, yeah. You know, they sold Harry Maguire and they bought in uh, Fofana, uh, Caglasanch, who, when he's fit, plays really well. Castagna, that they brought in this summer, he's amazing. 
And then you've got yeah. the likes of Harvey Barnes, Jamie Vardy and James Madison. It's... Holding on to some key players, but also making a profit off of the others. Yeah, I mean, it's the price is right and you, you've got a good enough scouting network, which they clearly do. Sell at a high price and invest. Yeah, and it works yeah. for them. But moving on to a team where not much is working for them at the minute, Dortmund managed to lose 2-1 to Union Berlin, but that was kind of a picture of what their season has been like for the last month or so. Because they started off well, and then one after the other, matches just started showing little deficits here and there. And these deficits have kind of piled up over the last couple games. And now they're neck deep in it. It's not looking good, is it? No. Conceding two goals that were virtually the same thing, two corners... Two set pieces that were the worst. It was the worst defending. That's defending you expect from a, a second Bundesliga team. Like, not even that. Maybe even third Bundesliga. It is just shocking defending. And you have to say the worst thing is it's not the first time they have this happen. It happened against Köln when they played at home. They also conceded two goals off of corners, both of which the back post was left completely unmarked. And they, they, it was a copy. And today, again, it was the same deal. Do they just not see that set pieces is literally their kryptonite? Or Well, they completely fall asleep. From, you mentioned the, the Cone game as well. From all four, completely switch off. I mean, Gio Reyna did it for the first goal. I don't know who was supposed to be marking... Uh, Friedrich for the second one he's completely clear practically on the penalty spot he's got a free header he he literally had the time to pick out any place in the goal any any spot he could have gone for the left post the right post top corner bottom corner half height it really didn't matter he had time galore basically he had the freedom of the city of Dortmund <laughs> in that penalty box. And the thing is, that's not even an exaggeration. It really isn't. I Combine think the, that with the fact that Dortmund were so unbelievably harmless going forward, with the exception of the one goal that was scored by none other than their just newly turned 16-year-old striker. I mean, if you're, le- if you're leaving all your offensive hopes and your attacking hopes on a 16-year-old who, I mean, we're talking about a 16-year-old who turned 16 a month ago. What are you doing? It can't just be, uh, we rely on Haaland, and if Haaland's not there, all our hopes rest on the 16-year-old. The fact that yeah, they already they seem, rely they seem on to have the way they do. They seem to have no plan B for if Haaland isn't playing. Oh, none whatsoever. I, I struggle to believe that all of this is down to Erling Haaland not being around because it's not. This was happening when he was playing in the team. Take the Lazio Rome match, the first one in the Champions League group stage. They were awful. I think maybe it could be down because Jaden Sancho is, for lack of a better term, dire this season so far. <laughs> I mean, he, he, by all means, prove me wrong and 
have an outstanding second half of the season. But for a player that Dortmund were demanding 120 million euros, no less, he looks barely worth half of that in some of the games, and in some of them, even less than that. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I feel the 120 million price tag was warranted given the season he had in the previous season, you know, over 30 goal contributions and the youngest player to get that many. But he is, as you said in previous episodes, a shell of the player he was last season. Can you, you can just imagine it, can't you, if United had paid that money for him? No. And he performed like this. There'd be, there'd be an inquisition as I, to I why mean, if you spent that much money on this player, who in 100%, 90% of the games I've seen this season has been bang average at best. The problem is bang average right now is not helping Dortmund. I, I think also you have to expect more from a player like Marco Reus. For me, and this is just a personal opinion, but Marco Reus is not a player that is helping Dortmund push forward. And it's not going to put Dortmund in a forward trajectory. Because as sad as it is, you know, he's an unbelievably talented player. And if it hadn't been for his injuries, he would have had a much better career and a much more title-filled career, probably. But his injuries have just made him to a player who right now is just, in my personal opinion, he should not be starting matches because well, Dortmund so he, just have more quality when it comes to individual players in the attacking positions. There's almost no space for Royce. You know, Royce just doesn't show that he is that that he is a player to be reckoned with and that can you know turn the magic on whenever he wants. He just doesn't look like a player who has you know the mental drive anymore to to put Dortmund and push Dortmund to the to the places that they want to go do you think it's time for Dortmund as much as it might hurt and suck for the fans do you think it's time for them to say thanks but bye to Marco Royce and potentially Mats Hummels as well I don't know so much about Mats Hummels because Hummels last season was basically the guarantor for Dortmund's defensive performances. Hummels this season, yes, he should he needs to take a good amount of the blame because he is the he's the defensive rock in that Dortmund backline, or is the chief in defense if you want to put it that way. And I feel like he's almost missing a solid partner to back him up because Akanji decent but still inconsistent. I don't, I don't know. know. I think sometimes it, it almost looks like he's trying to organize a chimp's tea party. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, Thomas Mounier, there's a reason PSG didn't renew his contract. I don't. Yeah. Oh, just, you know, Rafael Guerrero isn't a left back. He plays best when he's left wing back, if anything. Yeah, he's more of a left winger if you really want to go that far. You know, he's he's got he's got his qualities in attack, not defense. Dan Axel Zagadu, I don't see it. No, I don't know who the he- who Matteo More is. 
I was about to say that that was the, that's the other big question useless. mark is why he is in that team. What is he doing there? I have you know, no you'd idea. You'd be better off sticking me in there. He just doesn't bring anything quality wise to that team. You know, if you want a left back, you've got Nico Schultz, who is a left back. If you're playing four at the back, if you're playing five at the back, by all means, stick Guerrero left wing back because that's your width. Yeah, but Nico Schultz, Nico Schultz, and this is, I think, comes also to the we're at the problem again at the crux of the problem is that Nico Schultz is just not that. He's not all that. You know, he he started well, but now he's just kind of like. Mm. I think if there's question marks as to why he's being selected for Germany for the national team, you know, they're also partly down to the fact that he is not starting for Dortmund. And there's a, there, there has to be some reason why he is not first choice for Dortmund. I mean, you could say that, you know, I can't, I can't understand why Emre Chan gets in that side because I don't, rate him again there's a reason Juve let him go for free I don't know so much about Chan Chan not being a decent player but I I don't think I think we're going back we're going to have another discussion of playing players out of position because Chan at the end of the day he's more of a central midfielder and for some reason, Löw thinks it's a great idea because at Dortmund, he plays centre-back. Löw thinks it's a great idea to put him at centre-back for Germany as well. And I just don't see him as a centre-back. Center, just him at centre-back is just not... He's too hot-headed for that. I Arguably, there's, you know, Jude Bellingham should be starting more. Yeah, but then and you also definitely, see... Julian Brandt deficits like against uh, against what was it um, Stuttgart last yeah, week. Yeah, but young players have those moments. I think it's unfair to completely take him out of the team. You give yeah, him a chance true. to go. No, I need to bounce back from this. Definitely, because you know maybe it's time to drop Marco Royce and play Julian Brandt in that number ten position. Yeah. And to come back to your original question, do I think that it's time for Reus and Hummels to go? I've already said what I, uh, what I need to say about Hummels, but Reus, slowly, it's almost becoming a Mario Götze situation. You know, he's on the bench and he'll come in and he's kind of, you know, he's more there now because of what he's done for the club in, in recent history than he is for his current playing ability. Yeah, but you can't be like that in football. Otherwise, you get left behind. And yeah, they are. You're, being I mean, you're not wrong. Behind. You're not wrong. You know, they're two points off of the Champions League places, and six points off of where they arguably should be. They you know, should. They've, they they've should got this thing. Talented. They are historically, in recent times, anyway, Germany's second best team behind Bayern. I, I think you're going to have to change that sentence now to they were the second te- best well, team behind you know, because they season, haven't been for the last arguably two seasons ever since Leipzig has kind of cemented themselves at the top of the Bundesliga. I mean, they're one point behind Union Berlin now. And it could just get a whole lot worse for them. 
They're only one. They're one point above. Correction. Yeah, one point above is what I meant. But <laughs> let's leave Dortmund in fifth. Let's talk top of the table. Top of the table clash. Do you know what? This season, I think many people will actually, and many Bayern fans will actually say that it is almost more interesting to watch Bayern than it is, than, or than it was in previous seasons. Because this season, with the whole schedule being what it is, there is every game that Bayern goes into is a very, very, it gets very, very interesting. And there is not, you know, everyone going into the game saying, oh, Bayern's going to win that. Why bother watching? You know, they're just going to smack them 6-0. They're going to smack them 5-0. That's not the case anymore. I mean, just for a statistic, the game against Leverkusen, which they won 2-1, was the seventh game in a row where Bayern went down 1-0. Trouble in paradise. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an unreal statistic. Especially yes. given the fact that they've only, that they haven't lost the last five games. True. I don't know whether they're just starting slowly or what, but for a large portion of that game, Leverkusen looked the better team. Oh, first half, definitely. First half, I would have thought Leverkusen, they'll try and put this game to bed. I mean, what a volley from Patrick Schick. Unbelievable. Holy shit. <laughs> there you go. Dad joke of the day. Um, you, can't get, you can't catch that ball any sweeter, really. And it also goes to show Leverkusen from corners. That's their ninth goal they've scored off of a corner. If you're not going to defend properly on a corner against Leverkusen, you're asking for a goal. It's weird because by, by all reasoning having lost their best player Kai Havertz they shouldn't be up there <laughs> by all logical reasoning yeah but it's almost like the rest of the players in that team have gone okay Kai's gone we all need to be that little bit better to pick up the slack yeah yeah and I <sighs> In my opinion, they were unlucky and unfortunate to lose that game. They were unlucky and unfortunate, but I'll tell you this. If you're going to play the whole second half, like you are fine with taking a 1-1 draw at the, at the end of the full 90, then at some point you're asking to concede the second goal and lose the match. If you're going to play, for, uh, play to draw against arguably the best team in Europe still. Yeah, I think that's just a little bit of naivety on their part because, yeah, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, they've not been up there for very long. You know, they've not been up there for a long time. They haven't, no, but... So they you should, know, at this point in the season, and this, is, this goes back to the point I made about Tottenham, Leverkusen are the Tottenham of Germany. They are, du- they are literally dubbed Fietzekusen, and Fietze meaning uh, runner-up. And they're literally dubbed runner-up Lever- uh, runner Kusen. That's not what you want. 
No, but this goes back to the season they had 2002 where they finished runner-up in all three competitions, Bundesliga, Champions League, where Zidane scored that unreal goal in the final, that unreal volley. Oh, and, isn't and that Michael Ballack's worst season or something? Didn't he finish runner-up in the World Cup or something? <laughs> he, yeah, in addition to finishing runner-up with Leverkusen in all three competitions, he finished runner-up in the World Cup. That's where that, that's where that phrase came from because Ballack, before he moved to Bayern, he was you know Leverkusen's talisman. But going back to this, Leverkusen are always that team who some they're as I said very much like Tottenham. They kind of they kind of bottle at the last minute. They had a great run last season with Kai Havertz in the DFB Pokal because they made it to the final, and you know, of course, Bayern last season. We don't. We all know what happened and the way they were playing. And it seems like you know elements of that were creeping back in because a team that wants to win the cha- win the title and has has the stuff to win the title and looks very much like they are going to. They don't bottle cementing the cementing first place over Christmas. If if Leverkusen had gone out and and beaten Bayern yesterday, I would have said they may actually be genuine title contenders. But with the way they almost threw away the game yesterday, and it was all in their hands, it was all to play for because they showed that they could actually keep up with Bayern for very, very long stretches in that match. The way they threw that away just makes me think they're not there yet. And I wouldn't be surprised if, at the end of the day, Leverkusen barely make it into the Champions League spots. I have a question. Yes. It's going back to what I said about the naivety thing. Do you think that they played that second half happy with a one-all draw? Because in any other season, whether like fourth or fifth, they'd be gagging for a one-all draw against Bayern. I 100% think they were happy with a one-all draw because it would have kept them one point above Bayern and would have kept them in first place over Christmas. And, I th- and it's not just me who thought that as well. You know, Lothar Matthäus said it in the post-match interview or in the post-match uh, analysis on Sky Sports. They just looked the whole second half like they, they were good with the one-all draw and they were, you know, they, they were playing to draw rather than to win. And I think you, can, you just see the stark differences between a team of champions and a team that, for the first time, scratching at the title, if that makes sense. And it goes back to that mentality thing that we talked about at the end of the tournament or the Champions League tournament when Bayern won the Champions League title. You know, the mentality in that team is unbelievable and that's what sets Bayern apart from every other team in Germany it's the mentality of going into every match and not being satisfied with just one win or just beating that top team once and I think that's the that was the bigger difference between Bayern and Bayer Leverkusen last night you know taking into account also the fact that Bayern have the individual quality of a Robert Lewandowski to net another brace and show the world why he was voted the best player last of this year. Well, there you go. That's the perfect segue into the best. We've all been waiting for. So we're going to, we're going to have a little, 
talk about you know all the nominees and then the awards given. So seeing as I just mentioned it, Robert Lewandowski won the best footballer of the year in the men's category, beating Ronaldo and Messi for the award. And if we're going to be honest, it would have been a crime for him not to win yesterday. Just the performance he put in over the whole year. There's not, he's never really put anything any, in anything like it. And Ronaldo and Messi were just very, very average for their standards in the last season. Do you want to know something? Yes, please. I'm glad he won. Mainly yeah. because if he hadn't, you wouldn't have shut up about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, but come on. It would have been a robbery if he hadn't won. You have to admit that. Yeah, okay. It would have been unfair had he not won it. I mean, it's already unfair that he didn't have the chance to win a Ballon d'Or because he most definitely would have won it. Yeah, but... And we've already some... been through the whole thing of France football not choo- or choosing not to have the Ballon d'Or given this year. Was it just a complete and utter crime? Yeah, because but some all the Polish fan group fit. sent him a Lego version, so it's all good. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm sure that takes pride of place in his trophy cabinet, which, let's be honest, is probably full. I mean, he's won more this year than Steven Gerrard ever won in his entire career. I heard he was just a fraud in a red shirt. (laughs) Who? Lewandowski or Steven Gerrard? I'll let you decide that one. Ooh, okay then. Okay then. No, no, that's unfair. Um, he's a ridiculous player. I said it last week. You'll struggle when Neuer retires. You're gonna really struggle when Lewandowski retires or leaves. I mean, just, let's let's just go through the title hall here. Best footballer of the year, European, UEFA European footballer of the year, Champions League. German Footballer of the Year, the Golden Boot of the Bundesliga, Bundesliga title, UEFA Super Cup, DFB Pokai, German Super Cup. Yeah, all right. All won in 2020. Yeah, so he was. He, I'm not arguing with that. He was definitely the best men's player. Yeah. I think... I wasn't making out that you were, you were arguing that. I was just saying, just to... Just to underline how ridiculous this guy's season was all right calm Moving down on. best goalkeeper also kind of picks itself that being said how manuel noia makes wins the title of best goalkeeper and then doesn't make it into the best 11 yeah that's a bit um um what <laughs> I said it in the intro. They just uh, they must just pick these at random. <laughs> ah, my head my head hurts. How does that make any sense? <laughs> what I want to get your opinion on before we talk the best 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Lewis. <laughs> I know what's coming. Who won best men's coach? A guy who was as surprised as the rest of us were. 
Jurgen Klopp, please, just someone explain to me how the math works out on this. Hansi Flick wins five titles. He wins more titles than he has losses in his tenure as Bayern head manager. How does he not win manager of the year? Ah, it, it makes my brain hurt. Klopp won a Premier League. Great. He, I don't want to take anything away from the job he did winning Liverpool the first Premier League title. Great. But it's one damn title. One. Hansi Flick won five titles. <laughs> eh? How does the math work out? I mean, Mourinho said it best. I feel really bad for Flick because if he doesn't win with five titles, he obviously, they have to invent a few more competitions and he has to win them for him to win best manager of the year. Because I mean, how do you not win best manager of the year when you win five titles in one season? It is baffling to me because not even, even Jurgen Klopp himself said, I won the award, but I'm not the best manager. He said that in his acceptance speech. The only thing he could have done short of, like, it was the only thing he could have done to graciously basically indicate that he didn't deserve it, short of handing Flick the title himself. I don't understand the... I just don't understand how. I mean, yeah, he won Liverpool's first title in 30 years, but Hansi Flick won everything he could have won. And he lost less games than he won titles. Let's be honest. Are you really surprised, though, because it is FIFA? I was about to say, we're talking about the same FIFA who award Ballon d'Ors to Ronaldo in the years where Frank Ribéry probably deserved it when he won the trouble with Bayern and basically played his heart out on that left wing. I mean, Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or 2018 when probably Ronaldo deserved it. Be- all because Modric made it to the final of the World Cup. He didn't even win the damn thing. All I'm going to say is you're not allowed to moan about Ribéry not winning the Ballon d'Or anymore. He's moved on. He plays for Fiorentina now. Let it lie. Okay, but, uh, but Modric, 2018... Yeah, I don't understand no that. I think they just every so often they just think sod it. We'll just pick a name out of a hat. It really takes away from the credibility of these awards as well, because at some point everyone's going to just realize that these awards given out at the end of the year by FIFA or France Football or whatever they're just like the guys organizing these awards make up the rules as they go along anyway. So the people who win these awards, it doesn't mean that much to them anymore because they're just going to be like, well everyone knows that the people who get the awards aren't the people who really deserve them. So what's the point? Like, why do I even care? I think it's important to remember though, they are voted for by players. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's the thing that I, that I want to get your take on. The ruling goes that the individual awards, so basically the goalkeeper of the year award, for instance, is voted for by managers and journalists However, the, starting, the, the best 11 award, that's voted for by the members of the FIFA Pro. So basically all professional players. That doesn't explain how people would rather vote Alison Becker into the starting 11 than Manuel Neuer. I, 
I don't know, but if there's one thing I've learned having done a sports journalism course, it's that people who write about sport don't know anything about sport. You're really kind of shooting down our credibility here, Bill. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how often have we sat there and gone, well, that's just completely an utter nonsense. I'm not wrong. And it it, it shows with these awards because it's like, yeah, okay, these players had a great season, but it stands. If you win best goalkeeper, you should be in the best 11. That's like saying... It's like saying to PSG last season, oh, well, you came second in the Champions League, but we're going to give you a crack at the Super Cup. Yeah. Just yeah. because you, you, you came up and you came second and you tried your best. <laughs> it's utter nonsense, and I cannot stand it. Exactly. Can we just also appreciate the fact that Allison spent much of this fall of 2020, I mean, in the freaking hospital. He was injured. He didn't even play all of 2020. I see it just gets more ridiculous. Oh my days. And I, I can hear the anger. I can hear the anger coming through. I I'm not really doing anything to mask it at this point. I I really just ah oh, Jesus. Ugh. Well, I think on that note, we'll end it for this week. Sadly, this will be the last episode we will be doing on the Bundesliga until the 4th of January. So for 2020, we are saying goodbye to the Bundesliga as they go into their shortened winter break. That being said, the Premier League still has its lovely schedule Lovely, crazy schedule, I should add, of which I have always been very critical. Billy knows. He definitely knows. Um, and I disagree. <laughs> and he disagrees. <laughs> and he disagrees. So we will keep knocking out episodes about the Premier League. So tune in next week when we have a nice little rundown of our Boxing Day matches. But thanks so much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.